The Duly Noted Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's. Satisfy your craving for hand-breaded chicken and fresh-made salads. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today or order online at zaxby's.com forward slash podcast. And by Vistar Credit Union with locations across Gator Country. Visit vistarcu.org. And also, The Humidor, going the distance for fine cigars. This is Dooley Noted, everything Florida Gators, with your host, Pat Dooley. Okay, welcome into the latest Dooley Noted Swampcast. Appreciate everybody for clicking on. It was a uh, kind of an uneventful trip, and I think an uneventful game in a lot of ways. I think for a lot of fans, uh, there was a, I got a little bit of negativity, blowback, from just from they didn't particularly like the game, uh, but... You know, I'll get to why that was a great win for Florida in a minute. But, um, you know, if that is my last trip to Missouri, and I'm kind of hoping it is, uh, at least everything went very smooth. It was a record. I wrote about this in my car. I've never done that before where you get in your car at your hotel, and our hotel is about four miles away from the, from the uh, stadium. And from our hotel, from our hotel to pulling into press parking was 16 minutes. That is, that's the kind of atmosphere you have or don't have there. It's not exactly, you know, uh, people jumping on like I, what I like to call uh, bounce house crazy. It, it's just they're there and they're cheering for their team, and you know, it's cold. It wasn't that cold. It was chilly. It was nice actually. There was still snow on the ground. That was kind of fun, but. The bottom line is it um, it just it it shouldn't be that tough a place to play. It really shouldn't be. Um, I think part of it maybe that you know it isn't like you don't get relevant. Florida played really well in Baton Rouge, and one reason they played really well was uh, the crowd helped them. So it helps both teams. That that's the kind of the misnomer is that it only helps the home team. It can help the visiting team, and going on the road and getting wins is certainly nothing to ever be scoffed at. Uh, I'll be honest with you, Missouri's not very good. And because I think a lot of people were scarred by what Missouri had done at home, what Missouri obviously done the last two years to Florida, embarrassed Florida the last two years. If you win this game one to nothing, you should be happy, right? You know, my win by one philosophy. Because this team embarrassed you. Now, it wasn't the same team, and I get that, and there was no Drew Locke, and I get that. But... They were getting their quarterback back, quarterback who was on the national championship team, quarterback who uh, in the preseason everybody was in love with, who had done some really good things in different times this year. However, after watching them play, they're in a funk. Like, I know that the visiting and, – and, and I'm not saying you should give a rat's behind about whether they're in a funk or not. Um, and, it, you know, you all you care really about is Florida – but watching Missouri play in person and being there at the stadium and it just like the people I know it was a noon game, eleven o'clock game out there, but there were people probably I would say um a tenth of the stadium wasn't there at the um, in t- like seven minutes gone in the game. And and I don't blame them. I wouldn't go. It's not it's not a great stadium to go to. It was a little bit chilly, but um, there's just not the same kind of feeling. And now I see this team that's in a funk and this team that had lost three in a row. And here's what happened to this team. They got, while the schedule was good to them in a way, it was miserable to them in another way. In other words, when you looked at their schedule in, uh, you know how, well, you don't know because you're not at SEC media days sitting in that big room, but in the big room, they put the schedule up there for whoever, whatever team's talking. Barry Odom's up there. There's a Missouri schedule. And even though you might have glanced at it or looked at it, I mean, we're talking about July. You haven't studied it, but you can't help but study it when it's up there like gigantic letters, you know, you can't help but look at it and study it. And so you looked at it and you went, holy crap. They may be 8-0 going to play Georgia. This, and that's when it, I think some of the – part of it was the schedule, but what we didn't look at, we didn't look close enough. We didn't look at the fact that they were going to have to play three straight road games. 
and three straight road games in this conference, no matter how bad the teams are, and one of them was Georgia, so you know how good that team is, and one of them was uh, was Kentucky trying to fight its way back in Tennessee, who is – not Tennessee. um, No, I blanked down on the other one. But anyway, three straight road games in the conference because they play Tennessee this week, right? Let me make sure I get all that right. Um, In the conference, it's hard to do. And it apparently it kind of took away all their mojo because that team had no swagger. It had no, um, man, we love being out here playing college football. And I know Florida played around with them and it was, you know, it was what it was at halftime. And the Gators uh, it took a long time to put them away and people were a little upset about that. But, you know, it was the same thing. The sacks got them. It's still the same team. Can't run the ball. Can't start fast. Second half, they're usually better. Sometimes, most of the time, it's been good enough. Twice it hasn't been. But anyway, enough about Missouri. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Shut up about Missouri. Who cares? And I, I don't. You're right. But I did this quote that, that um, Derek Dooley had today uh, did say a lot about what's going on up there. He said, we're kind of in football hell right now. And that was the feeling you got. Now, Missouri, as we all know, has been on this uh, probation, there, which they've appealed. And, like, if, if it's, it's such a weird deal. If the NCAA doesn't come down with a ruling and bowl bids have to go out, they're technically eligible for a bowl while the appeal, the way I understand it, I may be wrong, while the appeal's going on, they're eligible for a bowl. But would you invite a team that in the next week you can say, "Hey, we're gonna have our signing. It's gonna be great. You know, you're coming to the Independence Bowl and and we, uh, welcome to uh, Shreveport. You know, you have a little ceremony with the AD and everything. And then the next day they find out, oh, well, you're you're not going to a bowl game. Now you got to replace them. I don't know. That's that'll be interesting. But first of all, they got to get bowl eligible. Anyway, they are in football hell right now. I have seen football hell, and it looks a lot like that. I've seen it. I saw football hell in this very town that we live in just a mere three seasons ago, right? That was football hell. I saw it in Will Muschamp's next to last year. That was football hell. I saw a lot of football. I I was here for 0-10-1, okay? That is football hell. In fact, don't tell me what football hell is. 0-10-1 is football hell. At any rate... I do think it is important to reflect because we have this open week. And again, there'll be no show Thursday. Um, we'll come back Tuesday and we're going to, we're trying to work it out. We may do one on Friday since we can't do it obviously on Thanksgiving. So we want to give you two next week. Maybe we'll be able to work that out. We'll see. Um, or we may do it Wednesday. You never know. We're, we're very, we're very uh, flexible with a lot of things, but it is so important to me to think about what this football team has done and what this coaching staff has done. So that's what I'm going to talk about after we take this break here on the Duly Noted Podcast at Gatorsports.com. At ViStar, we believe in better, better convenience, so members can bank any way they want, whether it's at a branch, on a mobile device, or at one of more than 20,000 fee-free ATMs across North America. We believe that people have better things to do with their time. If you believe that convenience is better, join ViStar. We never forget that it's your money. All loans subject to approval, insured by NCUA. Tailgates and Gator Winds call for the best cigars available from around the world. Pick your sticks today and save at the Florida family-owned site, thehumidor.com. Get free shipping on every cigar order. Find boxes from the biggest brands, samplers hand-selected by top tobacconists, or pick your own single sticks. Thehumidor.com, going the distance for fine cigars. Okay, welcome back to the podcast. And like I said, this has not been a perfect season by any means. It has been a very uneven season in a lot of ways. I get it. Florida right now is 112th in the nation in running. And part of the reason they're 112th is they don't try. They've given up trying. There's no point to it. 
They had almost no yards rushing. The one play was the Kadarius Tony speed sweep for 25 yards. But after that, couldn't do anything. Couldn't run the ball. They can't run the ball. I. It's It's almost inexplicable. We all know their offensive line situation. Two true freshmen in there. We all get that. But it seems like it's almost like there's got to be a way to run the ball. You know, like even if your offensive line is not great, there's got to be a way to scheme it up. But I don't know. Maybe they've tried just about everything they know how to do and can't do it. The point being, of course, that here they are at 112 in the nation of rushing. They have had devastating injuries all season, losing both ends. You know, Zuniga's almost played uh, – Zuniga's an all-American type player. Almost hasn't played this year. Grenard, you saw what Grenard can do on a healthy ankle. He was ridiculous. He was unblockable. And that's the player he is when his ankle's healthy. And so, thankfully, they, they may get both those guys back for this game. Now, remember, the big thing was, well, they're getting them both back for Georgia, but those guys weren't ready to play. They were ready to play. They weren't ready to play well, physically. And Georgia's got a really good offensive line, much better than Florida State's. And we'll talk about FSU next week. But, so here you're sitting here, guys, if you're a Florida fan, and if you aren't, I, I'm stunned that you're listening to this podcast, but if you are, you're sitting here at 9-2, and two, Six and two in the conference. Conference play is over. You put a bow on that. Seven and one the last two years on the row. Over the last two years, you are now 19 and five. If the moment that Dan Mullen had walked through that door to become your new head football coach, if at that moment I had grabbed you by the shoulders, turned you around and said, Hey, I've been to the future. <laughs> I had Stewie from Family Guy send me into the future. You know what Florida's going to do over the next two years? They're going to win 19 games. And we haven't even gotten to FSU yet. They're going to win at least 19 games. They're going to improve on their conference record from the second year to the, fir- to the first year to the second. They're only going to lose one game on the road to the number one team in the, cha- in the na- nation. They are going to be 9-2 and two with two losses to the top four teams in the country, headed for a playoff probably. That's what they're going to do. And they're going to throw the ball all over the place. They're going to be oh, – you're going to sit there and go, God, here comes another pass. Can't believe it. That's what they're going to do. They're going to develop receivers and make receivers great. That's what they're going to do. They're going to play elite defense at times. They're not going to always play elite defense. Personnel's an issue there with with uh, obviously the lack of uh, depth and and the you know again we've talked ad nauseum about uh, both the ends and and of course um, you know the situation in the secondary. But even with all that, that's what they're going to do. I got to think you would say, "Cool, <laughs> that sounds like fun." That sounds like more fun than we're going to be having. Oh, yeah. By the way, your coach, when he does interviews with people, is actually going to be interesting and answer questions. Okay. All right. Freshmen are going to be able to talk, unlike in the past two coaches. Okay. I'm, I'm all in on that. So I, I, I think – that look, nobody's going to sit here and go, "What a great season! What a spectacularly great season the Florida Gators had in 2019." No, didn't win the East. Not going to go to the SEC championship game. But let me ask you this: Was 2019 better than 2015 or 16? Both those years, Florida won the East. When the season was over, did you feel better about those seasons? Winning the East or better about last season, not winning the East? And this season, let's say you beat FSU. Very important there. That's a big if. And then win the bowl game against whoever. No, There's no telling who it'll be against, no telling where it'll be. Let's say you do that. And you win 11 games and you go 11-2. and two. So you've gone 10-3 and three and 11-2. You haven't won the East. You won 10 games and 9 games under Jim McElwain, won the East both times. Which feels better? You know what the answer is. Don't even hesitate. You know what the answer is. It's you know you want to win the East. That is your goal. I get it. 
But winning the East isn't always the answer to Nirvana. Just isn't. Um, so here we are, where this team is. We don't know what bowl they're going to end up in. Um, they've played their way out of a few bowls, but uh, my gut look, look, I get that question a lot about what bowl they're going to be in. And nobody knows because nobody knows how many teams from the SEC are going to end up in the playoffs. Obviously, if Georgia knocks off LSU in the championship game and doesn't lose to A&M or um, uh, Georgia Tech, which is not losing to Georgia Tech, they're awful, but doesn't lose to Georgia, doesn't lose to Texas A&M, and then beats LSU in the playoff, I'm convinced LSU is 100 – I mean, uh, Georgia is 100% in, and I think LSU gets in with the, what they built up. Now, I, I think Feinbaum was the one who was saying – that LSU is going to drop now, not, not this week, but they're going to start dropping because of the teams they play at the end of the season. But A&M has given them – A&M's actually helping them by winning. And I think that's going to help. But, um, you know, and Ohio State's going to get Michigan, Penn State, and uh, whoever they play in the title game. And that probably will elevate Ohio State to one. And and we talked about this in the last week's show. There is a reason why it's important because it's where you play. And if you're LSU, you'd much rather be playing in Atlanta than in uh, Phoenix. Phoenix is a much better trip, but your fans can get there easier. So you could very well see like an uh, – let's just say Georgia beats LSU in the championship game. Everybody else wins out. And you end up with Ohio State 1, Clemson 2. And then it would have to be Georgia 3, right? Because of uh, beating LSU and then LSU 4. So now LSU's going to play Ohio State in the Fiesta Bowl. That's not an advantage for LSU. Georgia gets to play in Atlanta. Unbelievable. In fact, I, I mentioned this in my column. There's a chance they could play four straight games in Atlanta. They could play Georgia Tech this week, SEC championship game, college football playoff, and if they lose, they open up the season in Atlanta. Four straight games in Atlanta. That's amazing. But uh, So we don't know, just getting back to it all, we don't know what bowl floor is going to go in. Uh, a lot of There's going to be a lot of movement in that top four. Um, I, think, I think Alabama may be done, but I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute. But – um, there's going to be a lot of movement still as we even these last three weekends because you got this weekend and you got of course rivalry weekend and you got the playoffs or not playoffs but championship games the weekend so we got still have three weekends of college football left and there's going to be movement but but the best case scenario for Florida is that two teams from the SEC get in don't care who they are just any two teams if they both get in it's good for the Gators because then everybody moves up a notch. And let's just say let's just say it's LSU and Alabama. Just say it, okay? Well, now Georgia, they're going to take care of them. They're going to put them in a nice bowl, even with the loss uh, to LSU. So it'll probably be the Sugar Bowl. And they, that's that's kind of an unwritten rule that the I don't know it may be a written rule that the SEC makes sure that their runner up doesn't get way down on the pecking order just because they made it to the championship game and played a game that other teams didn't have a chance to play in. In other words, if you're Georgia and you get win the East and you go to play in the championship, why would you get penalized for losing that game when Florida didn't get there? That's the point of it, okay? So if that happens, you know, you could see Florida slide into the Orange Bowl, which I think is what a lot of people like to see. And it's still the Cotton Bowl is a possibility. The the worst case scenario is the SEC gets one team in, they slide, let's say it's LSU, they slide Georgia now to the Sugar, they slide Alabama to the to the uh, Orange, and they decide we don't want Florida in the Cotton because it's not a good draw. But again, this is going to depend on the rankings and where you are. And again, as we know, Florida's not going to pick up a lot of points for beating FSU if they do. Still haven't beaten them yet. I'm not believe me. This old man is not counting the FSU game as an automatic win. Their president did earlier this year, but I'm not. Um, so anyway, we'll see where Florida goes. I don't think they can fall below the citrus. I'd prefer the Outback, it's, it's, but that's a personal thing. The citrus is uh, – and, and I can tell you that I'm not the only one who feels that way about the citrus. I've talked to numerous Gator fans 
who when I say, well, it could be here, here, or it could be the Citrus, they go, well, I'm not going there. I've had enough. I, one, one time in that stadium a year is terrible. In fact, I think Florida would probably, because it's a weird thing that you do. It's not weird. It's just kind of interesting. You write, and I think it's still this way, you write down the three bowls you'd like to go to, and the, and the bowls write down the three teams they'd like to get, and they try to match them up. Now, this is outside of what the college football playoff committee does, and they do the New Year's Six Bowls. But if I was Florida and I sent it in, I wouldn't put the Citrus on there. I would say, we don't want to go to the Citrus. We've been there. We were there. We don't think our fans are going to show up. They might show up for the Outback. You know? Heck, can we go to the Belk Bowl? Is that possible? So you may see some of that as well. Um, anyway, that's what's going on with the bowl stuff. Um and, and I did want to talk about uh, Derek Mason being back at Vanderbilt. They announced that just, just a little while ago. I kind of get it. Um, I don't know that there is an answer at Vanderbilt. I really don't. As, as long as you're going to – because here's the thing. James Franklin did win there, and he won big there. And that's how good a coach he is. But the arms race escalated after he left. It was already starting, but it got even worse, and now Vandy is in such a hole. It's almost impossible to get out of. So I I don't know. You know, like I, I mentioned earlier, I talked to David Turner for a long time in the press box Saturday. Great guy. Um, and he knows what their problem is. He's not sticking his head in the dirt. But he also said in his statement about him, look, we've been kicking the can with coaches too long. We just keep, yeah, let's get another one. Let's see what he does. They've, there's got to there's be long-term solutions. And one of them's got to be the stadium's got to get better. There's no question about it. And I don't know, though, that Vandy has the money to get into an arms race. I don't think they do. And I think you're just going to have to be, if, if you're a Vandy fan, there aren't that many of you out there, as we know, content with six wins if we can get the six wins and go to a bowl game hey that'll be great we can every once in a while pull off an upset like we did that year we beat georgia that's cool we, we can live with that we're not going to win the sec east we never are we probably have we might go net 10 years and not be ranked and there's no coach out there that is an automatic answer you know my urban might work bring urban in see how he does I would, you know, actually, I would love to see that. I would love to see Urban Meyer take over Vanderbilt and see what he could do with it. See if he's that great a coach that he could win at Vandy. That would be the sign, the mark of a Hall of Fame career. Not that he's not going to get into some Hall of Fames, not all of them. Um, or, or, or a, or Dabo, Dabo, go coach Vandy. Let's see how good you are. Nick, you, you still got some time left. Hey, go give Vandy five years and see how that goes. I would just like to see it. And there are coaches who did take programs that were that downtrodden and built them up. You know, Lovey Smith, the job he's done at Illinois, there's no question about it. Um, but most of those happened before it became all about facilities and everything like that. I, I know I've gone off on a rant here, so let's let's get back off of one. And talk about the Tua injury. Certainly devastating. I feel bad. The guy is such a great guy. I really enjoyed spending time with him uh, out at uh, SEC Media Days. He's, um, you know, it, it's it's sad for college football. It's sad for him. And it's sad even for Alabama fans. I, I feel a little bit of their pain to have lost LSU the way they did. You know, unable to stop them, and then turn around and lose your quarterback the next week. I feel bad for you. I mean, I know you you have no reason to bitch. We know that you had it made for for so long, but you still feel bad about them for this season. Okay, maybe I don't. I do. You don't. That's fine. But I, you know, the argument that he shouldn't have been in the game was was a kind of a silly argument. You know, and I heard McElroy make this argument. You know, Joe Burrow's playing. In the fourth quarter of the Ole Miss game, why was he? Why was he in there? Um, you know, quarterbacks play until the game is secure. The game was not secure. It was still the second quarter. Okay, you put Mac Jones in there. 
Let's just say he throws a pick six. Now it's a three-touchdown game. I'm not saying Mississippi State's coming back, but you got to understand the way college coaches are and you got to understand the way college football is. People, I know Tua was playing with a bad ankle, but if he was good enough to play with it, he was good enough to stay in the game. And what happened was freakish. I feel bad for him, but I, anybody who's complaining about Saban having him in the game, I think you're just being, you're being uh, the ultimate hindsight dealer. You're, you're sitting here going, yeah, I wouldn't have played him at that point, not with two minutes to go, because he might have gotten hurt. And then he did, just like I said he would. I, look, you start the third quarter, you start the second half, you bring in your backup quarterback, I got no problem there. Um, all right, we'll see who's going bowling in the SEC. But first, let's bring on uh, – Chris Lowe's going to join us. I think we're going to get him in just a little bit from the um, from ESPN. We'll talk to him about SEC and what's going on there when we return on the duly noted podcast at Gatorsports.com. Zaxby's taking chicken to a whole new level of flavor. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today or visit Zaxby's.com. All right, welcome back to the Duly Noted Podcast. A great pleasure to be joined by my buddy Chris Lowe, the Bulldog from ESPN. We'll talk a little college football with him. And, you know, we'll start out by talking about LSU because it. I don't know that I've ever seen a team become so different in one year not, and I'm not just talking about the offense. I'm talking about a defense that can't stop people. But they, they, they always make one or two plays. Just enough. Whatever the offense is giving them, they don't give it all back. Yeah, and Pat, it's not because you – know, the thing that's probably even more odd is this is a defense that's got a lot of talent. Yeah. It's not because you – know, some defenses can't stop people because they just don't have the horses. This defense, they're good in the back end. They got several guys back there. They're going to play in the pros. Uh, maybe not quite as good up front defensively as been in the past. Some of those LSU defenses we've seen, you know, out edge rushers and up front, but they're still pretty good. They got some guys going to play, I think, professional football. But no, they just have not been able to stop people consistently. But when they need to, they've done it or forced a turnover. A little bit, you know, it's a little bit like. In some degree, like that 2010 Auburn team, because they weren't real good on defense that year either. Now they had a guy playing quarterback by the name of Cam Newton, but they put you know they gave up a lot of points. But you go back down the stretch that year, and certainly in the championship game when they smothered Oregon, but down the stretch of that season, they came up with key turnovers and key stops when they needed to on defense, and they had a dominant defensive lineman yes. in Nick Fairley. But yeah. that was a defense pat that was not elite but made elite stops when they needed to. What's your take on uh, what Alabama's going to have to do against Auburn to even have a prayer? Because to me, because of the Tua injury, if they win that game 10-9, it's not going to do them any good. So many like they didn't win. Probably not, because that's they're going to be judged on, on that performance and the fact that they look, if let's say that scenario plays out, that they look that limited offensively. Now, they score a lot of points and they win pretty handily. See, I think the scenario that they need to have happen is, first of all, they need LSU to win out and win the SEC championship, okay? Then I think they need they need to beat Auburn pretty handily, score some points, and they need it to come down between them and Oregon for that fourth spot. They need some other teams to fall by the wayside. You know, Baylor, you know, the Baylor-Oklahoma thing to sort of work its way out. Um who else? So, you know, some other teams. So Clemson wins out there and in. Ohio State wins out there and in. LSU wins out there and in. And then somehow, some way, it comes down to an Oregon team, uh, or even probably better, maybe, for Alabama, that Oregon loses or gets upset. But, see, I think if it's Oregon-Alabama, and Oregon's only loss is to, is, to an Auburn, yeah. is to an Auburn team that Alabama beats handily with its second-string quarterback, then I think that committee has a, you know, there's a lot of conversation, a lot of debate at that point. Absolutely. It's going to be interesting to see, uh, you know, again, this is an awful schedule this weekend for college football, but does Georgia still have the edge now that they've clinched the East? I know that they're playing for the playoffs, but, you know, A&M, A&M's been kind of a weird team this year. They've been kind of under the radar all year because they haven't won big games, but they here they are at 8-3. and three. 
Right, and, and they've you know I saw A and M against Clemson. I was at that game, and that was early. You know, and physically they held up in that game, Pat. Uh, they really did for most of the game. They're just good enough, and I think the way you put it is perfect. They're, they're just talented enough and, and good enough, and 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 I, and I think the staff is excellent um, to spring an upset like this. Now, you know, I'm not necessarily predicting that because Georgia is starting to look like what I thought Georgia would look like to start the season. They're just physically beating up people um, on both lines of scrimmage. They're running the football. Fromm's been in a million big games. He's been on big stages, you know, and I don't think anything really phases him. Plus, they sort of had their hiccup. So I think that that, that helps them. But, uh, yeah, it is, it's one of those teams that's certainly capable. And, and you, you figure they've had their chances and they've not been able to do it. And, you know, I'll say this before we get completely off Alabama, and, and you may disagree with me. I think there is a general Alabama fatigue across college football oh, yeah. fans media. Um, I don't know if necessarily among the committee, because that's all that counts is what the committee thinks as far as the playoff. But I think there's probably more interest and in, in, in more of a uproar to keep Alabama out of it than anything else. And, and I'm not so sure that they deserve to be in it at this point. I think everything would have to play out, just like I said a minute ago. But I think there's there's just a general Alabama fatigue. People are tired of Alabama. They're tired of Nick Saban. They're tired of seeing Alabama in the playoffs. And let's be honest, Alabama has gotten a couple of times now, even going back to the BCS, they've gotten the benefit of the doubt. Sure. And been able to get in. And typically when they've gotten the benefit of the doubt and gotten in, they've performed on that big stage. See, I don't think that should necessarily be held against them this time because if it's pretty cut and dry and they don't win their division and there's not – a realistic debate that well, they shouldn't get in. But if the scenario plays out that I said a minute ago plays out, then I think that's a real conversation. You know, I was talking about this too earlier um, about LSU because they don't really. I mean, A and M's a good team, but but and and of course they'll be playing Georgia in the SEC championship game. But um, Ohio State's probably going to get bumped ahead of them because. If they if Ohio State wins out because Ohio State's got obviously Penn State, Michigan, and then whoever they play in, in their championship game, they'll probably be one. And the, the significance of that is now LSU's got to go to Phoenix instead of Atlanta, and for their fan base, it's, it's going to have a major effect on them. Yeah, I guess they could bump them now. You know, now, again, if Bama wins and beats Auburn handily, then that that lot, that win over Bama looks even better for LSU, but. Maybe the accumulation of wins, the way you paint it for Ohio State, might be enough to get them to number one. I've seen Ohio State live. I've seen Clemson live. I've seen Ohio State live. I've seen Bama live. I have not seen LSU live yet. And I would say right now, certainly with two, with two out of the equation. Now Clemson's playing its best football, but you know they haven't played. You know I, I'm going to use the phrase that I make fun pat of everybody using. <laughs> that they haven't played anybody, but they really haven't played. <laughs> they haven't played a really tough schedule. But that doesn't diminish how good a football team they are because they're very good, very good in playing their best football. But if you said, Chris, right now, who's the most complete football team in the collegiate ranks? Who's the most complete football team you've seen? I would say Ohio State because I always look, and I'm an old-timer just like you, I always look at two things. I look at difference maker, quarterback, and I look at defensive line. Those are the first two things I look at. And Ohio State checks the box with a big extra black mark, an extra <laughs> thick black mark in both of those categories because, they're, you know, Fields is, is a guy that can beat you a number of different ways, and, boy, they are loaded on the defensive line. You know, uh, obviously, uh, Chris, I was just in uh, lovely Columbia, Missouri. I was <laughs> taken aback at how bad they are. I thought – I think that that three-game road swing, which is not fair that anybody should play three straight road games in a conference, really just kind of sapped their mojo, and they've got nothing left. Derek Dooley said today that they're in kind of a football hell. And, of course, if Tennessee can just knock them off, they get bowl eligible. Yeah, Derek didn't uh, – he didn't drop any, any uh, Rommel references, did he? He said a Rommel. Not this time, no. <laughs> <laughs> no binoculars or anything where he's looking out in the distance. Um, yeah, if Tennessee's got – yeah, so if, so if Tennessee, I guess, if they beat Missouri on the road and then Vanderbilt, sure they'll be able to beat Vanderbilt, although Vanderbilt's won three straight years over Tennessee. Yeah. Tennessee fans hate to be reminded of that, but it's a fact. 
Um, that would be seven wins and would be quite a turnaround from where they started the season. And, yeah, I think at that point Tennessee would probably be as attractive of the of the middle-tier bowls as anybody because the fans are going to want to travel. They'll have a lot of momentum, uh, a, a, a program and a team on the upswing, and a program that you know has won a ton of games in a row. I guess the Gator Bowl probably is where they would end up. I think Gator Bowl would love to have them because they haven't been there for for a long time, right? Yeah, so I mean that that makes a lot of you know that makes a lot of sense, and I think they still have a chance to win at Missouri. Again, what's Missouri playing for? Where are they emotionally? Uh, Tennessee's played a lot better of late, certainly on defense. That's you know they've they've. You know there were some some stretches there, and they they gave up so many critical mistakes early in the season. You go back to the BYU game. Uh, you know Florida just beat them to death, and then offensively, you know after the the, uh, the debacle of Alabama on the goal line, to his credit, to Jared Garantano's credit, and the and the kids around him, they sort of rallied around each other. And he's you know he's he's sort of a a testament to staying the course and the guys around him. You know not pointing fingers, and and they've. They played a lot better football, and they responded to Pruitt. You know, there was a time there when I wondered if the, the learning curve for him as a head coach, Pat, would be too steep. And I don't think, you know, this is still only his second season, so I don't think it's fair to assess yay or nay. But he's done some things, and you watch the way that team's improved in the line of scrimmage and the way the kids have responded to him. And I think you got to give him his, you know, some props for the way that team's responded. Absolutely, no question about it. Last thing, real quick, uh, Derek Mason being retained at Vanderbilt. Your thoughts on that? You know, I heard a few weeks ago that that uh, the AD Malcolm Turner did not want to make a move. Just didn't feel like there was any reason to at this point, and, and that uh, you know, Derek's wanting his sixth year. And I think when you look at the history of Vanderbilt football. Coaches have made it that long at Vanderbilt. Almost invariably, the fifth and sixth year have been tough for him. I, I think if you're gonna if you're gonna deep six Derek at this point, what's your plan? Do you have a definitive plan and a vision? And you know, Turner, the AD, still pretty new. Give him a shot next year to see what he can do. Listen, they're they're the knife fight, Pat. Vanderbilt is. It always has been with paper swords. Yeah. I think what James Franklin did speaks for itself. Maybe it was just the right time, and I think it also says what kind of football coach James is. But that was the exception and not the norm. So I think Derek's a good football coach. It's been a miserable year for him. I think probably he does deserve another year and to give him his plan for what he can do to get them back where they're at least competing for bowl eligibility. He is Chris Lowe from ESPN, a longtime friend and one of the best in the business. We'll be right back with more of the Duly Noted Podcast after these messages. Zaxby's taking chicken to a whole new level of flavor. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today or visit Zaxby's.com. Let's go ahead and wrap things up here for another edition. We'll uh, start out by talking. We'll get to three things. Uh, I wanted to, this is an interesting thing to me. Like I get interesting about almost, you know, I don't want to call it minutia, but it's kind of minutia-esque with college football. Like, I did a whole thing about who's winning the East or the West. Well, the East is, I think it's now uh, 6-5, right? And the, and you still have Georgia, A&M. You have Ar- Arkansas and Missouri at the end of the year, which Missouri should win that game. And there's one other game. I I, I had it all. It's all in last week's column. At any rate, I was uh, just jotting this down on, on teams going bowling whether they're going to go bowling or not. Well, they're six in from the SEC. We know that. They probably aren't going to fill their allotment. But Kentucky looks pretty good now. I know nobody ever says that was a big win over Vandy, but it was. To get that win, because they get Tennessee Martin. We know all about Tennessee Martin this week. That gets them to six wins. They're in. Uh, And they finish with Louisville, who's having a really good year by last year's standards, but not necessarily by Louisville standards, actually gave the coach an extension. Um, as did Scott Frost get an extension, which I get. And that goes back, what, what they've done with Derek Mason, what they did with Scott Frost, what they're doing with Satterfield Louisville, makes sense, guys, because and here's why. You can't keep, as, as, they, as um, the, the AD at um, Vandy said, you can't keep kicking the can and going down the road trying to get new coaches every, every couple of years. It's not going to work. Everybody's hoping to find lightning in the bottle. You've got to get some stability. That's the only way you're going to build a program. 
And the Mark Stoops example should stand out. But anyway, Mark Stoops should get into a bowl game with a, with a situation that he had this year, losing all those players and then losing his starting quarterback. So they should get in. Uh, Tennessee has five wins and has Mizzou and Vandy. You would think Vandy, although Vandy's beaten them like three in a row, right? Four in a row, something like that. Vandy's terrible this year. So they should get in. Then you bring up the Missouri question. They should get a six win against Arkansas, but are they going to be ineligible in time not to get in? I, the, the Missouri, I'm glad I'm not covering that team. No offense, people who live in Columbia. And it's, I got no problem with the city of Columbia. Spent a little bit of time in there this weekend. I usually don't stay there. We stay in St. Louis, but we did stay there this week. Um, no problem with the city. It's nice. It was, the weather was great, but that situation with them is is you don't know what like any you have to have your phone by your bed at all times, which I kind of do anyway. It's also interesting to me that these teams that aren't probably going bowling unless they win their last two games, NC State. Syracuse, well done there with that uh, preseason top 25. Duke, not so good there. Nebraska, as we talked about. Michigan State, Stanford. And you know, but you know in the in the list of disappointing teams for this season, you know who belongs in there is the mighty Texas Longhorns. They're 6-4 and four right now. And I thought they were back. I guess they aren't. Um, other games that were played over the weekend, uh, you know, LSU's defense, it's the same thing with them almost every week. They play as good as they have to, but never any better. Like, they never play a game where you're going, wow, that defense is pretty, is finding itself. They play what – they do whatever they have to do to win, whatever the offense tells them they have to do. In other words, we're going to score 60. Don't worry about playing defense this week. You know, against Ole Miss, they gave up 212 rushing yards to the quarterback, Plumley, who's really good, really runs the ball well. You saw what, what happened with Florida. Florida went up and down the field on them. Um, Vandy scored 38 on them. They're a weird team in that this is such an atypical LSU team. You can't stop them. You're going to score. You just can't score enough, and they make sure of that. They always make about two plays a game. It never fails. Um, yeah, the Oklahoma Baylor game, and you know, I was thinking when we were watching this game that Jalen Hurts, this was his Heisman moment. The trouble is, it's too late. In fact, he can do it again. It's not gonna matter. Joe Burrow's winning the Heisman, but Jalen Hurts bringing him back from twenty-five down—that would—that was a typical Heisman moment. Just doesn't matter this year. A uh, and M over South Carolina, and um, a lot of uh, more heat on on Will Muschamp. Some people are really getting upset. They don't saying, "Look, he's our he's our guy. Let leave him alone. He's going to recruit well. We're going to get guys in here. We it's just a bad year." And again, that goes back to like if A and M fired. I mean, I'm sorry, if South Carolina fired Will Muschamp right now, who are they going to go hire, and how is it going to be better? Probably not. I look. I think Muschamp has a ceiling. And I don't think that ceiling is too low for South Carolina. In other words, that ceiling's up around that eight nine area. Wins a year when he's at when he's got one of his better teams, and then he could sneak in like he did um, at Florida his second year with really good players left there for him um, and win win eleven games. But on a consistent basis, he's not going to do that. But he can get to that eight nine. Area. I don't think he could ever get where Spurrier got them to the 11 wins three years in a row. And either that's good enough for you or it isn't. And if it's not, then you're just kicking the can again and you're just bringing in other coaches. Um, okay. I did want to talk about Florida basketball, but not really. Uh, it, it's so disappointing. I, I didn't get to see any of the game because we were flying. Um, got to my Got my phone out as we landed, got low enough and saw that they had lost, read up on it. Uh, it's a tough place to play. I've been there for women's basketball. It was tough for women's basketball, and I'm sure it's just as tough for men. Uh, but again, it's the same old thing with this team. They're just having trouble putting the ball in the basket. There doesn't seem to be a whole lot of confidence. I don't know what the deal is with Noah Locke, why he's lost his confidence. He needs to get it back real quick. you got three games coming up Thursday, Friday, and Sunday in Charleston. Uh, you know, I- I'm not at the panic mode yet. 
I'm not on the ledge, but something needs to happen here good for this team. They need to they need to get a win. They need to get an, a win. It doesn't even have to be a gigantic win. They just need to win some games, maybe run off a little streak. The thing that drives me crazy about this team, and, and Kelsey and I were, were there Thursday night at the game against Towson, and we were both saying they never get on a run. They never get on like a 12-0 run. Now you're going to call me and say they did in this game against uh, against a UConn. Well, I didn't see the game, but they never seemed to get like things really going where they got it going. Uh, you know, look at that. Oh, man, now they look like the team we thought they were. I've never looked at this team once over a five-minute stretch, that, and I think most people agree, and said, now nah, that's the team I thought they were going to be. No. And look, this is a team that was created on paper by people who were so-called experts. Well, I fell into it. A lot of people fell into it. It was a team that was created on paper. Check. Look at the the five-star recruits. Check. Look at the returning players that were pretty good last year. Check. Oh, and look, at they got the best free agent that was available in Kerry Blackshear. Check. Kerry Blackshear is going to be player of the year. No, he's not. Kerry Blackshear is not that kind of player. He's a really good player. He's going to help Florida all year long. He's not a player of the year guy. But he's really good, and he will. he's exactly what Florida needs. They've just got to get some confidence going. That's my theory, and I'm sticking to it. All right. Uh, by the way, uh, we're, you know, we're not going to have a show Thursday. Um, trying to take a little bit of time off. But this week's football on Saturday stinks on ice. It's bad. Find the fifth best game for me. In the entire uh, – there's 130 teams. Find the fifth best game. Penn State, Ohio State's going to be really good. Can't wait to watch that game. A&M Georgia is almost insignificant, but it's not, of course, because Georgia's still got the situation going with the, the playoffs. So you, you're going to watch the game, but Georgia's probably not losing A&M at home. I, I'll watch Tennessee, Missouri, but that's me. What else do you have? Again, we need a commissioner to put an end to this penultimate week of college football that is just awful every year. The SEC's tried to help out a little bit by putting some SEC games in there and making some teams play, uh, but it's not, it, it isn't enough. They need to do more. Um, I, it's, and you can't blame it all on the SEC. Okay, let's do – you want to do – let's do three things and get out of here. Sure, why not? It's time for three things. Three things. Number one, um, the knucklehead quotient is amazing in the NFL to me. And look, guys, Antonio Callaway obviously has problems. Such a good – such a talented player. But, I mean, how many times do you screw up before you just – don't get to play anymore. This may have been the last draw for him getting cut by the the Browns. I don't know if he's hanging around the wrong guys. I don't know if he has a chemical dependency. I don't know if he's just uh, got bad upbringing. I don't know anything about the guy. All I know is he's a knucklehead. You can't keep doing this. And then you read today, Mark Walton from the Dolphins gets cut by them because he's been arrested again four times, punching his pregnant girlfriend. It's the the level of knuckleheadedness is 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 so incredible. It's not that hard if you're a really talented football player to do things the right way and make a lot of money and have everything you want, okay? It's not that hard. It's not easy, but it's not that hard. I mean, it may mean you have to say no to a drink when you're getting ready to get into a car. It may may mean that your guys that, that you hung out with all through college are offering you some candy. <laughs> you know what I mean? You need to say no. Sorry, man. I got a drug test tomorrow. I can't fail it. Okay? Just use your heads. But I, I don't even know why I bother. I don't even know why I bother. I want to just shake Antonio Callaway more than anybody by the by the shoulders and goes Antonio man don't blow it you're well maybe too late number two speaking of knuckleheads Miles Garrett of course was in the news last week 
And uh, my gut, people keep asking me what I think he's going to get. Of course, he's suspended for the rest of this year. I think he's going to be suspended for a calendar year. That's my bet. That, in other words, from the date of his infraction until that next date next year, he won't be able to play. It, you know, it, it was really ridiculous. And um, the the good thing is ESPN has only shown it one time. <laughs> ESPN showed it at one point 14 straight minute times. They showed it over and over. We get it. We saw it. We saw it. We saw it. There was a great skit on SNL where the guy playing Miles Garrett, which was Keenan Thompson, was like, I was just trying to put – I saw a helmet had come off, and I was just trying to put it back on his head. Um, you cannot use it as a deadly weapon. Uh, you're lucky it hit him the way it did because if it had been turned a little bit and caught him the wrong way and you knocked him out or you opened a gash in his head, think about what you'd be dealing with now. You're very fortunate, Miles Garrett. And I, don't, I you can come back from this as a human being. Forget about it as a football player, as a human being. Maybe you'll get it now. And finally, on a more positive note, the number three on three things, the Florida women are 4-0. I know they haven't beaten anybody. I know they played a bunch of mediocre group of five and whatever teams. But they're 4-0. Sometimes you wonder if if when you're starting, kind of starting to rebuild, it's not that bad a thing. If you remember back to the – 06 team, they scheduled pretty light in that 05 to 06 team after they'd lost all these players, Matt Walsh, Anthony Roberson, David Lee had all gone. We never knew what was coming, right? We didn't have any idea. But they scheduled pretty light early and got out to that 17 and 0 start. Then you build confidence. It may be sometimes it's false confidence, but there's nothing wrong with building confidence. They play Friday against number 18 Indiana. We'll know a little bit more about them. I don't expect them to be great. I don't expect them to be good. But I hope that they're at least not embarrassing. And I'm not blaming Cam Newbauer, and I'm certainly not blaming any of those young ladies, but Florida women's basketball has been embarrassing the last couple of years and at a school like this. So maybe they're turning the corner to get to respectability. First step is respectability. Then you get good. Then you get great. Then you get tremendous, right? That's the plan. We'll see if they can do that. All right, that's going to do it for this duly noted podcast appreciate everybody please uh, have a good weekend stay safe um, and we will be back with you tuesday with another edition we'll talk about a little bit about what happened this weekend although i'm not gonna have much to talk about but we'll still talk about what happened over the weekend and uh, start looking ahead to fsu until then i'm pat dooley the sports columnist of the gainesville sun i'm deep i'm way back and i am out of here The Duly Noted Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's. Satisfy your craving for hand-breaded chicken and fresh-made salads. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today or order online at zaxby's.com forward slash podcast. And by Vistar Credit Union with locations across Gator Country. Visit vistarcu.org. And also, the Humidor, going the distance for fine cigars.